0: Welcome to Grind, Grind, Sell, Sell, Elevate,
1: Elevate, with your host, Tizer Evans, a podcast dedicated to bringing you the top minds in all areas of business, entrepreneurship, sales, and leadership. Let's elevate together. All
0: right, everybody. Thanks for joining me on Grind, Sell, and Elevate. This is your host, Tizer Evans, and I'm here with David Saltzman out of Knoxville, Tennessee, beautiful state. David, thanks so much for joining me.
1: My pleasure, Tizer. Thanks for having me on.
0: Yeah, absolutely. You have one of the best microphones I've ever heard. To. I just have to give you that compliment right away. Oh, thank you. That's crystal clear. Uh, but D- David, if you could, could you introduce yourself uh, to the audience a little bit about your background and um, what you're currently up to today?
1: Sure. I um, had a great 40 odd year career. Most of them were odd in the insurance business. And about um, 12 years ago, I lost my wife and thought life is too short. I want to only do the things that really turn me on and where I can really help people. Mm-hmm. And so I I solely focused on marketing. Um, and we are a fractional chief marketing organization. So for, insur- for companies who can't really afford uh, a two hundred dollars or $300,000 CMO, they can still get that bang for their buck, but they get it for a lot less because they're only buying a part of my time. I'm also a story brand certified guide um, because my philosophy is that marketing is always downstream from message. And if you do marketing without clarifying your message, you're running uphill through molasses in the middle of the wintertime. So that, that's me. No, I love it. Thank you. And you're all right. Let's just stay right
0: on that topic and and have you expand on what you mean by the marketing's downstream from the message. I think that a lot of people, they hear that. And like me, I nodded my head, but it'd be great to have you explain it further.
1: Well, the the example that I always use, because they're ubiquitous, everybody's got a website, some of us who are over or underachievers, as you will have too. Um, And I, I ask all of your listeners to think about the last time they were on the web and, and, and whether they saw a website where they went, wow, that's a really cool website. And their next thought was, I wonder what the heck those folks do. Yeah. And that's the standard website. And it's the standard marketing material. And it's the standard everything else. Businesses spend a lot of time working on how to differentiate themselves in the market. In everybody's business, there's tons of noise. And you want to differentiate yourself. And one of the ways that you can do that is by having a crystal clear message that resonates with clients and we can talk a little bit more about the story brand process as we go along but the bottom line is that in sales and in business in general if you confuse you lose yeah and we spend way too much time confusing folks forrester uh, who looks at such things says that these days the average amount of time somebody will spend we'll go back to the website metaphor because everybody understands it the average amount of time that people will spend looking for something is 13 seconds. Wow. If they can't find what they want in 13 seconds, they're gone. They're onto your competitor's website. So they need to see something that says, I understand your problem. I can, I've got a solution. I can take you to the promised land. But it's got to be, you know, 10 words, 12 words. That's it. And that's, that's how StoryBrand operates. Much broader than that. Um, and again, I'll be glad to chat a little bit more about that as we go along.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, thank you for kind of letting us um, ex- extrapolating on that. And I do agree with you. I can't tell you how many websites, even with guests that I write, that I go to do, uh, I'm going to interview and I'm doing my, my background research on what they do and I go to their website and I'm like, I can't figure it out. You've got testimonials maybe you're doing some coaching. Maybe you've got a business. I I really, I have no idea. And in our space, we're talking about David and I have shared a um, a current space that I've been in insurance since 2009. And he has a little bit more experience than I do in that space. But uh, oftentimes when I go to even a uh, consultants or a broker's website, it, it can be very confusing or it's not updated. It's like the you know, it's it's uh, the messaging is completely off. And so maybe let's pivot to that um when talking about, you know, why it was important for you to get certified in the story brand guide and you know what that's brought to you and what that brings to your clients.
1: Sure. I, I've been a writer in one form or another, paid. So a real writer because I didn't want to find honest work. Um for almost 30 years now. I wrote for life insurance selling and national underwriter life and health. Um and basically 1200 word essays and did that every month for as i said 25 30 years had a great time doing it and in doing that i became kind of a wordsmith and i started looking around at things and thinking boy that's you know i i I, it's nice for me we'll use the insurance metaphor since it's a space that we're both kind of talking about it it's great that you go on their website and they talk about all their great service and they talk about their people and how proud they are of them and they talk maybe about the awards that they've won And they talk about the products they sell and instead of just telling people the time which is all they want to know they're telling them how to build a watch yeah and the problem is the only people who care about that stuff is the people who own the company right and that's it's important stuff i don't mean to minimize that in any way but put it in a brochure snail mail it to a client a week before an appointment or a prospect a week before an appointment with a little note that says handwritten of course that says i want to make sure we spend all of our time together next week focusing on you, thought you might like to learn a little bit about us. Mm. On your website, post a headline that says, we know what your problem is and we can help you solve it. Here's a simple plan. Human brains are only programmed to do two things, survive and thrive. Mm. If I asked you, Tizer, to hold a bowling ball, you probably have no problem holding it. If I asked you to hold two bowling balls or three, you could probably manage that. But by the time I get to the fourth bowling ball, you're going to drop the bowling balls. And that's the position that we put prospects and clients into. We overload them with stuff that doesn't speak to the emotional part of their problem. It's not difficult. It just is a discipline that we're not used to. I totally agree.
0: That's interesting. uh, The way that you phrased that, uh, because it does make a lot of sense. So just simplicity and message is really we're getting to now. um, Maybe we can extrapolate on, what i find um you know i had anthony anarino i got a chance enough you who he is but i got a chance to chat with him on the podcast and we talked a lot about the old legacy way of sales right where just what you're talking about it's me 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 as opposed to providing value really focusing on i already know we should already know what the issue is so when they come we're clearly identifying it that we can help to solve the issue um so maybe talk about how the sales and the marketing Sometimes there's a huge disconnect with this messaging and how they can better work to to um, with one another, if that makes sense. I don't know if I phrased that in the right way, but in my mind, it made sense, David.
1: Yeah, it does. And I think the way you ask the question imputes this, the problem in and of itself. They're not two different things. Mm. So marketing is a consequence of story. It's a consequence of message. Once we take clients and, and we work across a whole wide range of industries, Once we take clients through the story brand process and we help them clarify their message, they start looking at all their other marketing materials and their scripts and their how they go to market, et cetera, and going, well, that stuff's all wrong. Mm. And it is because they hadn't clarified their message first. I sound like a broken record, but it's something I'm really passionate about and I've seen it turn businesses around. I've seen it start new businesses from the ground up with a rapidity that's really amazing. and if you'll indulge me, I'll talk a little bit about StoryBrand, because I keep talking around the edges of this. Sure. And, oh, and, please dive in. You know, the, the StoryBrand process is story theory. It's not new. We were writing stories on cave walls 30,000 years ago in France. But, and one might say that since we're using emojis, we're pretty much come full circle. We're just, they're electronic. But that's a different story for another time, right? When When you start building your story out the first thing you have to realize is that you need to be the guide not the main character if you've ever or your listeners have ever been in a c-suite office and you're in there and you're doing your thing and you're doing your pitch and you feel like you're in the zone and you look up and your prospect is a million miles away yeah it's largely because you came in as the main character and not the guide so as we talk about story brand think you're, Luke, you're not Luke Skywalker, you're Yoda. Luke Skywalker is your client. So the seven-part framework of this story theory that Don Miller captured in this wonderful way in his book, Building a Story Brand, is really simple. Hard to go through, but simple in concept. There's a main character. The main character has a problem. The main character expresses that problem three different, way, three different ways. And this is where I kind of take story brand a little bit deeper they express it externally, what they tell their buddies, internally, what, what they tell themselves on a day-to-day basis, and then philosophically, what, what's really inside of them. That philosophical statement usually starts with, it just shouldn't be so darn hard to insert goal here. The reason that we spend so much time thinking about their psychology is because great work by Daniel Kahneman, a book called Thinking Fast and Slow, Mm-hmm. He proved his life's work was to prove that we do not make decisions with our prefrontal cortex, the reasoning part of our brain. We make decisions with the amygdala, that old lizard part of our brain that governs emotion, and we've become increasingly adept over thousands of years at instantly rationalizing those decisions with our prefrontal cortex. So if you understand that every sale is an emotional trigger someplace, you need to understand what the emotional problem is. So once we sort through all of that, we position the client as the guide to say, hey, I have empathy and authority. I've seen this problem before, I know it's a pain in the butt, I can help you solve it. Then the guide gives them a very simple plan, usually no more than four steps, and a call to action. Call us today, schedule a discovery call, et cetera, and in written material or on a website, a secondary call to action, which I call the, I'm not ready to go on a date, but I'd like to learn more about you. So maybe that's a downloadable brochure or downloadable asset of some kind. Um, And then what we have to do as guides is show them the promised land. We have to say, if you follow my plan, this is what the world will look like. And we take one last step and we say, if you don't follow the plan, this is what the world will look like. Mm. And the reason that we do that is because fear of loss is a much greater human motivator than desire for gain. Yeah, We then take all of that work, which sometimes with clients takes a week or more, and we distill that down into a two-page narrative that reads like a little script. We never use that, but we do that as our interim step because what we do then is we distill that down even further into a one- or two-liner that becomes the the, lone, the, the North Star for all of the other work that clients do. If you've gone through that process, you understand your client or your prospect really well. Then you understand how to talk to him. Then you understand how to craft marketing materials, regardless of what type they are, whether they're video or audio or printed or some of all of the above. You understand whether a podcast is going to reach them or whether you want to write magazine articles in, in their trade publications or whatever. But until you go through that process, you're basically shooting darts in the dark and the odds are you're going to hit the bartender, not the dartboard. Wow. Thank you for that. Yeah. I mean, I was,
0: I totally agree. The loss aversion is so powerful if you can frame it, um, in the right direction. You're the second person in the last two days to recommend that book. So it's one I'm going to have to, uh, go check out, um, now, when it comes to crafting a powerful store, I think uh, and this is where I think that your obviously your services can really help facilitate that need because oftentimes when you're thinking about the story, and I'm just curious, should that also kind of be centric to your core values and your mission statement for what you're trying to accomplish? A, a
1: lot of what people find is that once they've gone through the entire process, they find that if their core values are thoughtful, and well-conceived, that amazingly, the story matches up with those values. On the other hand, if those are old or inauthentic or they were done 10 years ago, and, you know, everybody does business very differently today than they did 10 years ago, then it's time to revisit them. Mm. But, but that alignment is, is almost always there. It's, it's almost magical. Yeah. yeah. Well, thank you. I
0: was just curious to get your uh, perception on that, because I feel like they should be aligned, right? Like your story should go with the vision of your company, and that should really feed and come back to everything you're doing and how you're servicing and your message and branding within the marketplace. Um, Absolutely. That's that's
1: why we work with teams. We don't just work Mm, with the business owners or the entrepreneurs. We work with teams as well, because for lack of a better term, that catechism then becomes the center Mm -hmm. of everything, Right. Sorry to interrupt you. I just wanted to make sure that everybody knew.
0: No, no. I think that's a that's a really important part uh, because oftentimes it is the leader, right, that is the founder that sets the vision, that sets the core values. And you know, I've worked for Fortune 100 companies, uh, and oftentimes I get told what the core values are in training, and then never to be seen again. Uh, And I have a drastically different experience eight layers down from the founder, right? And and so. And then it's just kind of like uh you feel like you feel like a cog and then you're like these guys are kind of full of shit.
1: Um, as a matter of fact there's a great story out there there's a guy named mike abrashoff who wrote a book called best damn ship in the navy i won't go through the whole backstory, but his first day on the ship he asked all the seamen to come in and talk to him about what they could do to improve the boat the boat was the worst boat in the pacific fleet and the last guy who came in said to him to your point about not seeing the values at different places in the organization at different mm-hmm. layers the last guy came in and said, sir, if I may, and the Admiral said, no, no, sirs, no nothing. We're just all sailors here. Tell me. And he said, well, the way I see it, the Navy's like a big old ship full of monkeys. Now, when, when you look up, there's the Admiral way at the top, and as you look down that tree, everybody's smiling. All the monkeys are smiling but please remember sir that us sailors we're down here at the bottom and when we look up the view is very different. Mm-hmm. You know you you've got you've got to have those values aligned throughout the organization. And you're right too often that happens and the bigger the company the harder it is even if the culture seems to be good on the surface. You, you dig down a few layers and people at my level your level whatever going culture what culture? Yeah. Yeah, oh, the, yeah, there's the, some sour cream in the refrigerator. That must be the culture they're talking about. Yeah, I think I think that that can be some people's
0: experiences, um, but definitely. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that's a great way to put it. One of the things you said offline that I did want to cover because it's such a, you know, the last 10 years, it's been such an explosion with Schulz, right? And I think a lot of people lean on this so heavy with... Uh, Marketing and not that it's not important and and whatnot, but I wanted to get your take on social media and how does this facilitate? Is there a best practice? Um,
1: what is your take on it? I think it depends on on what your product is and what you're selling and whatnot. My answer is, you know, I'm I'm an old Peter Drucker guy, so if you can't measure it, you can't manage it, and if you can't manage it, you can't improve it. So my answer to clients who want to spend a lot of time out there. Yeah, you have to have a presence. But there's a question between difference between having a presence and expecting it to convert. Mm. So the question is, if you can show me a campaign that you've done, or that somebody in your industry has done, that has demonstrable, repeatable ROI, then by all means, put a lot of stock into the stuff you do on social. But if you don't, or if you're selling an intangible product, or whatever, have a presence so people go look for you can find you, but don't make that your sales mechanism because it'll likely disappoint. And I know that puts me at odds with probably 80% of the known universe, but I just haven't seen it. I've been doing this a long time and just haven't seen many instances where somebody can say, yeah, our conversion rate off, off of Facebook or LinkedIn or wherever you happen to be is X. But they spend an inordinate amount of time because the other guys are doing it. And the best advice you can give a business is don't do what your competitors are doing; do what your competitors aren't doing but should be. Right, right. It's interesting. I was having a
0: conversation with my father-in-law uh, last week, and we were talking about his website. So he has a couple of different businesses, and and one of them is a is a restoration company in Tampa. And you know, so we did some reporting on you know, his metrics and where he ranks versus his competitors. And it was pretty low, right? But he's busting up teams with business. And he goes, you know, Ty, I, he's like, not that it's not important. We've got the website, right? And maybe my Google reviews are, they're, they're all five stars, which is good, but they're missing some components. And he goes, but um, my biggest referral source is plumbers, right? So he's talking about how he leveraged this network of plumbers. Hmm. And he goes, maybe I pay a little bit more, But I, just to your point, you know, I think last year he said, he's like, uh, they paid over 300,000 referral fees, but he said, but I can measure it. And I know every one of those referrals was a conversion to my business. That was a multitude of X, right? Overall. And so that just kind of is, I think, reiterating what you're
1: talking about that point. Right. So the question is, why don't we apply those same KPIs to social media? Right. If we did, I think we'd find that we'd be spending a lot less time doing that again, I understand you have to be out there. I understand you have to have a presence. But if, if you're going to be, if you're a business and you're going to be on LinkedIn and posting regularly, show thought leadership, do something yeah. intangible, give back to the community. And 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 maybe some stuff will come in from that. But don't, Good heavens, please don't make that your sole marketing strategy, because it's not going to get you there.
0: Well, I think that's a really good point to pivot on to, David. Um, you know, when it comes to LinkedIn or what you're Putting your brochures, oftentimes again, what I feel like the messaging I've seen, and I used to hate this when I would find I, I if I saw a rep do it on my sales teams, I would freak out, freak out <laughs> on them. But they would get on LinkedIn and they would be like, "Hey, fourth quarter's here, send me a quote." you know, we, we can do X, Y, Z. We've got the best rates in town. Send me a quote. I said, this isn't a platform for you to beg for business and talk about yourself. And so maybe talk about how to constructively use these platforms to put out the right type of story or
1: messaging. Well, the first thing is to get a checkup from the neck up. The answer is you, and this is part of the story brand process that we talked about earlier. You don't sell a product. Mm -hmm. Nobody sells a product. I used to tell my sales team, the first person who talks about product loses. You're selling a solution to the client's problem. And that's never a product. Think about all the products in every one of your marketplaces. None of your prospects can name all of those because they don't care. They literally do not care. What they care is, dude, I've got a problem and I need somebody who knows how to solve, who understands it and who knows how to solve it. That's all they care about. It's trite, but it's the old, Somebody asks you what time it is, and you tell them how to build a watch. Yeah. No wonder you're not converting. No wonder you're not closing better. If your closing ratios stink and or your retention ratios stink, the odds are you've done a terrible job on the front end. Everything is downstream from message.
0: Yeah, no, I think we're doing a great job of driving that point home. And I and I think some people might say, well, you know, how do I, I'm a small company, even for me right now. So I, you know, I was sharing with you, I work for a holding company that was founded by a a large private equity firm about 24 months ago. So I'm calling into the marketplace. Nobody's ever heard of me before, but we've bought four very reputable companies that have been around for a long time doing their business. So the messaging has been somewhat conflicting for me because I want to establish credibility that we're not a fly-by-night company. You know that we're managing several hundred million dollars worth of business um but i also realize in some ways it doesn't really fucking matter either right so how would you take that scenario maybe you can help me out with my messaging
1: i think that's that's you said it it doesn't matter the only thing i sound like a broken record because it it's it's story brand is elegant in its simplicity and i will warn you if you go and buy the book if any of your listeners go and buy the book and by all means do because don needs another gazillion dollars (laughs) buy the book, but I bought the book and I got it. And I'm thinking I'm a marketing dude. I can do this for me. It's almost impossible to read the label on the mayonnaise jar when you're inside the jar. Mm. So it, it, it's get a guide, get somebody who's been through it before to help you. But that's, that's the issue. You're talking about stuff because it's important to you. Yeah. You think you need to show credibility. What you need to show is empathy and authority. Mm. So nobody cares that this is a roll-up of four different businesses and whatnot. You know what they care? We've helped 484,000 companies solve this problem. Yeah. And we feel for you, man. We've seen it a million times. We know what it's all about. We can help you. If you were talking to a friend and the friend was in need, you would talk about how you're going to go about doing the solution. You'd put your arm around your friend and you go, dude, I get you. I feel you. Come on. I can help this. That's what clients want. And more and more today where we've gone social media and we've gone with 80 slide PowerPoint decks, God help us. Um, people just want a conversation. Yeah. They want somebody to sit there. I mean, I, when I coach salespeople and it doesn't matter the industry, I, whatever they're doing, I said, you really only have two questions to ask your client. If you're in the room, you're there because you should be there. They've granted you time. Ask two questions. Why do you have X, whatever the product is you're selling? And then stop talking, even if it's uncomfortable and let your prospect talk. And the second question is, how's your current insert product here or thing here, solving those problems or measuring up to those expectations? You now know everything you need to know about how to sell somebody and you haven't done a damn PowerPoint slide. You haven't talked about how many people you've got on your team you haven't talked about how our people are our greatest asset and if i hear that one more time i'm going to like jump off my desk and it's a moving desk so i can raise it before i jump off <laughs> uh, it, nobody cares about that stuff you know a wise man once said the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing yeah and in in, in the case of organizations that want to take a product or a service or an idea to market the main thing is understand your prospect understand what their problems are, show empathy, authority and a, co- a clear cogent plan and express that in fewer than 14 words. Yeah,
0: um, I absolutely love that. And those are amazing questions to ask. And you're right. You could gather everything that you you need through the power of questions and those two very Basic questions that everybody should ask. And, you know, to kind of wrap this up, I appreciate we've already been talking for 30 minutes, but I want to get um, your take on that PowerPoint, right? Because that's, again, you know, it's like almost companies, they expect you to get up there and they they razzle and dazzle you and spend thousands of dollars on PowerPoints and all the shit that no one really cares about. I'll tell you today, I had a meeting with a guy in Jacksonville. Great guy. And we started off the meeting and, um, his name is Jason. And I go, Jason, I got a slide deck, man. I'll, I'll show it to you if you want it, or we can just have a conversation. And he goes, please, please just have a conversation. And we had a great, then we ended up talking about our kids and, you know, everything else. And we left it and he goes, Hey, I'm working on a, well, you'll know this, but he goes, I'm working on the 80 life group. I'll pop over to you right now. Right. And, um, how many times that happens after you go through droning on for 45 minutes, going through 35 slides never happens. So just interesting that happened today. So maybe I already answered, answered my question again, but I kind of want to get to your point because it's, is it ever necessary? Is it needed sometimes? Um, Or what do you think around those types of presentations?
1: Um, I think perhaps in a closing meeting, you know, after, after you've done something, you want to show somebody how the widget's going to work because it impacts their HR department or it impacts their floor or their workflow process in the shop or whatever. You know, it, it may be useful then because the visuals help people interpret complicated concepts. Mm. But the but when when you're talking to somebody about a problem that they have, when you're first making your, your your first appointment or even your second, you're supposed to be listening and learning, not talking. Yeah. You know, the the, the old bromide of, you know, God gave you two ears and one mouth, so you should listen right. to this as much as you talk. My answer is a little bit different. My answer is the word listen and silent have the same letters in them. That's true. Yeah, I love that. So I think there was a Purdue business school study. I think it was Purdue a couple of years ago. About like 80% of executives that they surveyed would much rather do what you did today, which is have a conversation than look at a deck. I ran a a third-party administrator with about 400 employees for nine Mm -hmm. or 10 years. And if anybody came in to sell me, and they started with a deck. I got one of my VPs and I got my secretary and I had a code to get me out of the room
0: because
1: mm. I just wouldn't listen. I, I figure if you have to lean on your PowerPoint deck, you don't understand your product well enough. And I think that's more and more the unfortunate takeaway that the C-suite folks that you want to talk to are having. They're going, you know, th- this guy's using this as a script. Now, I have an yeah. authority that probably 95% of the prospects anybody's going to call on can read. So if you think it's important to have visuals, leave them behind as a, as a leave behind as a reminder of what you talked about. But hmm. Nothing says I don't give a rat's rump about you more than some sales guy who comes in and starts yammering. You don't yeah. even know what my problem is. Most salespeople do know what the problem is before they walk in the door. But that's not how the interchange has to go in order to build that authority and that empathy. That's your goal. You're the guide. Build empathy, build authority. Thank you. That actually gives me a lot of
0: clarity because I felt uh, I've noticed that my BDR, oftentimes he sits in on a lot of meetings with me and I just don't like to run through the whole thing. It just, you know, it feels so inauthentic to me. And so he he'll, he gave me a nice compliment last week. He said, man, you're a master at just like you hit the points that are important to them. And he goes, sometimes you only show 25% of the things that we have. And I go, I know because they don't give a shit about the rest of it. That's right. Right. I'm just trying to have a conversation with the mm-hmm. person. And then maybe it gives a visual age of how, you know, how the captive layers work and and whatnot. Uh, what, but it's just, it's not about that, man. I'm not going to drone on um, when they already get it. You know, no, that's why they we're don't having a meeting to begin with. And that's why we're having the meeting,
1: right? right. Exactly. Yeah. You're having the meeting so you can understand what their problem is and you can say, don't take that route. There's potholes and trees down and whatnot. Come on, follow me. I know a better way. Yeah. And we'll yeah. get you to your destination. That's all they want. They want somebody to say, cool, I got you. Here's the plan. Do one, two, three, and four. And we'll surround you. We'll implement. We'll do all that stuff because we got the people to do that. But we want to solve your problem. If you come in and you start yammering up front, the message you're sending is, "I don't care what your problem is; I've already got a solution." It's the old, "You you can't stop you can't buy; I haven't stopped selling yet." Yeah, don't yeah, do that. Yeah. It doesn't work for anybody, but people keep doing it. They do. I do
0: agree. Well, David, this is a this has been an enlightening conversation for myself. So I I really appreciate it. Um, if people are looking. For you know your services um, as a fractional CMO, you know where can they find you? And then please talk about your podcast as
1: well. I'm sure the easiest way to find me is at the Saltzman Group S A L T Z M A N the SaltzmanGroup.com. If you um, want to book a discovery call, there's all kinds of links on on the site. If you also want to download a free brochure, go to the SaltzmanGroup.com forward slash download, and there's our eight secrets of communication brochure there which everybody's welcome to go and grab for themselves. Um, The podcast is really, uh, the current podcast is really an industry podcast. It's insurance related, um, but it's been fascinating because it's called the Shift Shapers podcast. And we bring in folks who are taking shifts in the industry, which is finally changing after a long time, the employee benefits industry. And say what you will about ACA, or some people know it as Obamacare, it really shook up an industry that needed to be shaken. Mm-hmm. And there's all kinds of people doing all kinds of really cool stuff, and we interview them. We've been doing it for almost nine years now, and it's it's a blast. Very cool.
0: Um, well, I've checked it out, and I do love it. I've recognized some names and some folks I've chatted with, so I thought that was pretty cool as well. Um, David, I've thoroughly enjoyed the conversation. Everybody listening, whether you're watching this on YouTube or you're uh, listening on whatever podcasting streaming service, I will have all of David's links posted in the show notes. So please go uh, download. That template sounds very cool. I'm going to snag it myself and then uh, subscribe to his podcast. I'll have a link to his podcast and then, of course, his website. So uh, connect with David. Uh, David, I thoroughly enjoyed the conversation. Thank you so much for spending so time with me.
1: Thanks for the invite, I Appreciate it. Absolutely.